the picture this morning. I'm surprised you see me here. Let me tell you, I myself am surprised too. Um, since I retired about seven years ago, I've been spending a lot of time preaching. I was saying to myself these last, these past few weeks, hey, this weekend I, I'm free. I can spend a little more time with my family, especially because my children are back. And then I got an SOS. Say, Hua Jian, can you please help? I say, what? Um, your pastor Ronald was going to be away, and he's somebody else supposed to preach, and that person is not available. And so I said, oh, yeah, I'm free all day. <laughs> so I'll be doing these two services and this evening's evening service also. Um, I'm Hua Jian, just in case you don't know who I am. Um, and actually, since I retired, I've always felt that God is getting me to do more preaching and teaching. And it constantly amazes me how many passages of the Bible I haven't preached on yet. Um, so I was, I'm happy to be here and available. And I, uh, and I only trust that you are happy to see me. Just I'm happy to see many of you. I got to write and miss something though. Um, as I get older and older, I find that I can't remember people's names. Especially, I wasn't, if I'm not expecting to see them, and all of a sudden I see them. So, if I can't remember your name, please excuse me and please tell me your name afterwards. Let's go to God in prayer. Father God, we give you thanks that you are our God. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you send your son into the world to tell us your love to tell us the good news of salvation and to bring us out of death into life, out of darkness into light, out of bondage into freedom. And as we look at today's text, help us to learn more what it means to follow after you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have to admit something though. When I was given the passage, I thought today's reading is the scripture text is supposed to be chapter 26, 4 to 28. And I was preparing the passage and, and, and said, wow, so long. How to finish everything within the limited time? Then I realized it's up to 18 only. So I want to say this because you will realize that you read through the chapter. The post-testament is only halfway through when we come to verse 18. But I also know that you are working through the book of Acts, so you've got to wait for part two for this section of post-testament. But today we just focus primarily on verses 4 to 18. One of the most interesting things that we notice in the book of Acts is this, that there are three records of Paul's conversion experience and his encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 9, chapter 22, chapter 26. And you may want to ask, why did Paul, sorry, why did Luke do that? I mean, in those days, you, know, you cannot buy paper by the room and then you don't like it, just throw it in the wastebasket, okay? Uh, paper, or at least, even papyrus was very expensive. And they would limit the use of unnecessary words. Okay. 
And, and yet, Luke deliberately did this three times. You may want to do a Bible study on it and ask yourself, why? And then we also must note that as we come to chapter 26, that since Paul's arrest in Jerusalem in chapter 21, he had already had several court hearings. He appeared before the Sanhedrin in chapter 23, before the governor Felix in chapter 24, before the new governor Festus in chapter 25. And now King Agrippa had come to, with his wife Bernice to visit Festus. He now had to come before King Agrippa one more time. And this was around AD 60. You may be interested to know that King Agrippa was a great-grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great tried to kill Jesus. His son, King Agrippa, sorry, his son Herod Antipas beheaded John the Baptist at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And then his grandson, Agrippa I, beheaded James, the brother of John, the son, one of the sons of Zebedee. So there's long history, and now he's appeared before King Agrippa II. And Paul had no idea what was going to happen to him. But he focused on a few points, even as he stood before King Agrippa and Festus and defended his case. The first thing I want us to look at is that he focused on the hope of the Jews, their forefathers. You look at verses 4 to 8. He reminded King Agrippa that the Jews had always hoped that the Lord would send him a savior, send them a Messiah, who will make the nation of the Jews great again. He will send a Messiah to bring the people to a true knowledge of the living God, the God. And so for many years, the Jews have been longing for this Messiah, for God to fulfill his promise. And this was a hope that they all looked for. If you look at the passage, you look at verse 6. Now it is because of my hope in what God has promised to our forefathers. Verse 7. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see. And then at the end, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. See, they all share the same hope. And yet, the Jews persecuted Paul, accusing him of dishonoring God. And yet, they all share the same hope. Why is that so? For the Jews, they had a hope. They had an attention of the Messiah that was totally different from what Paul has now come to know. So in from verse 9 to 11, he began to share that what he used to do, his previous efforts in trying to please his God, the sad fact was that, like everybody else, Paul was expecting a triumphant, a conquering Messiah in military and earthly terms. 
They will expand the kingdom to be as glorious, as great as the time of David. And yet, it will be good for us to remember, if you look at the map of the kingdom of David, it was actually very small. But that was the most glorious thing that they ever had. And they, of course, wanted the kingdom to be bigger. Because of this understanding that they had, there was no room in their minds for Messiah would, would have to suffer shame and die. And they would not recognize a Messiah who, who, who died and rose again from the dead. And that was why Paul challenged, challenged Agrippa, uh, you see? Why sh should we be anyone consider it incredible that God should raise the dead. They had no room for a dead Messiah who would rise from the dead. So they, they weren't expecting something like that. And so Paul himself mentioned clearly that he was the one who would observe the teachings of the Jews and was living according to the strictest sect of the Pharisees. He is clear that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He did everything he could, based on his understanding, based on all they had learned to be faithful to his God. And because of that, did his best to defend the faith and to stamp out all false teaching. Which meant that he then began to persecute the church punish the believers of Jesus Christ, put many of the saints in prison, and cast the vote to put them to death. I think it's important to remember that. He did everything he could because he was thought he was doing the right thing until he encountered the risen Christ. And now look at verses 12 to 18. What happened? We all know the story because even from Sunday school days you learn about Paul's journey on the road to Damascus. So we won't go through the details. But the fact is, he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. Or more correctly, the Lord Jesus revealed himself to Paul. Make himself known to Paul that he was indeed the Christ. And when Paul realized that, Jesus also told Paul that he was being appointed to be a servant and a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show to you. God chose him. The Lord Jesus Christ showed mercy to him, changed him from a persecutor of the church to a servant of the church, servant of Christ, and suffered for the name of Christ. And so what was it that Paul was supposed to do? Look now carefully at verses 17 and 18. I will rescue you from your own people, the Jews themselves. Now actually, if Paul voted, was able to vote to cast the believers to death, he was very likely to have been a member of the Sanhedrin himself. Let us remember that. Well, Malaysia is sort of new now, and a lot of young MPs and even young, very young ministers. Um, and Paul probably was not the most brilliant man 
at that time, and he was probably in the Sanhedrin, although there's no, no actual record of that, all right? But the fact that he was changed, and he would be rescued from his own people because now his own people will persecute him. But more than that, he was also to be rescued from the Gentiles. Again, I will, res I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them. He, God was sending Paul to both the Jews and to the Gentiles to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. It would be good to remember that these would be some of the core principles and core teachings, core teachings of the gospel. To set people free, to receive forgiveness of sins, and then to be sanctified. So this commission that Paul received involved going both to the Jews and to the Gentiles. He had the same message for both groups of people. In fact, you go on to verse 19, you read that, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. And that was one reason why, one other reason why the Jews opposed him. You see, the Jews had always thought that they were the only true people of God. Nobody else. They were the only people under God's blessings. They were the only people that would receive God's salvation. So, how could they need to repent? Why should they need to repent? They already belong to God. And the other thing was, they rejected the idea that the Jews should come under God's blessings, and the Jew, and the sorry, the Gentiles should come under God's blessings, and the Gentiles were not part of God's plan for the peoples of this world. But Paul received his commission. And he had no choice but to learn what it means to be faithful to his Savior and to his Lord, to the gospel. Again, focus on the fact that to turn men and women from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. It doesn't matter who these people were. It doesn't matter whether they are men or women, they were adults or children, or they are high-born or low-born. The gospel is meant for everybody. And this is what Paul did. And you have to read the rest of the chapter to find out how he sought to fulfill his commission. But the question that we need to ask ourselves now, what kind of pattern does Paul's testimony set for us as we read this? What do we learn? The danger, of course, is whenever we read the Bible and passages are very familiar, we just gloss over it. Don't spend enough time thinking about it. I think one of the things that we need to ask ourselves as we look at Paul's life and example and, and ministry is this. Paul sought to be faithful to God, to learn everything he could. The first question, therefore, that we need to ask ourselves is this. In our early years, whether we're young or whether, whether we were working already, what were the forces that were driving you in your direction in life? What was it that drive, was driving you in your purpose in life? Was it wealth, success, power, 
being number one in class, being number one in the office. Some of us may have grown up poor. In fact, the older generation all know what being poor means, right? And so you made up your mind that you grew up, you never be deprived. You be rich. And you, nobody will have the chance to look down upon you. Recently, somebody shared with me that the family grew up poor. And they always felt being slighted. If you were like that, have you grown out of that? Some of us were in no. And you want to make sure that everybody come to respect you. Hormat you, tapet you. Was that what drove you? There are too many factors that shape our lives. We are all different. And we respond to the same situation differently. Even within among brothers and sisters who grew up in the same family. And for better or for worse, you've got to ask yourself, are these some of the driving factors that still control you in your life today? The second question that you need to ask is, how did you go about fulfilling your goals and your purpose? You work very hard, study very hard, climb over as many people as you could along the way, You save as money, much money as you could, even at the expense of the well-being of your own family and your personal health. And do you find that after reaching all these that you, aim, you were aiming for, that there was still no peace and no joy? Paul thought that he was doing the right thing. Defending the name and the honor of his God. But realizing his heart, he was full of anger and hatred. That's why he wanted to throw as many people as he could into prison, isn't it? To earn favor with God. We still are surrounded by people like that. Although not so often common among Christians in Malaysia because we don't do that. But we just saw the pact that was signed between Amno and Pass. I don't know how long it lasts because both sides want to be number one, isn't it? It's so obvious. And my, what saddens me is MC and MIC could get themselves killed because they agreed to that. If you are members of those parties, my apologies. <laughs> I've never thought, I've never been what you call conventional and follow rules, okay? Um, Paul thought he was doing the right thing. Did you think that you were doing the right thing in all these years? Then the third question I need to ask is, when Jesus became real to you, not just Savior, but Lord, I think we need to remember that. We encourage people to come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. But we need to encourage our own self to recognize he's not only my savior, but my Lord, the Lord of my life, the Lord of my salvation, the Lord of my heart, and the Lord of my mind. We need to let him 
take charge. Then you got to ask yourself, what happened to make this change in your life? I always felt that when you meet in your CGs, as many of you do, spend one session once a year or once every two years to share with one another in the group how you came to know Jesus Christ. What happened before and what happened after. And you'll be amazed how encouraged you will be to see how God works in the life of everyone in different ways. And to see the joy of what God has done in our life, in our friend's life. But more importantly, as you share with your friends, you will know how to share your testimony, and you'll be comfortable in sharing your testimony, and you'll be able to share your testimony anytime you are asked. Don't say, uh, let me think, ah. No, I have to say. Always be ready to share your hope that you have in you. Some of us have memorized this verse in First Peter chapter 3, isn't it? In your heart set apart Jesus Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer. The word actually defense a defense to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have and do this with gentleness and respect and that's what Paul did before King Agrippa and this is what we need to learn to do it doesn't matter who asks it doesn't matter who challenges. Let us be prepared to share what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. What you yourself have seen and heard in your own life, in the life of your family, in the life of your friends. Share with your, be prepared to share with people how God has changed you how God has changed your relationships, how God has changed your values, how God has changed your outlook, how God has changed your understanding of what it means to be a Malaysian in a country called Malaysia, and how God has enabled you to love the people of this country. Ultimately, simply means this, how are you now living your life in obedience to Jesus Christ, your Lord and your Savior. Let us pray. Father God, we give you thanks that you have recorded for us in your word. 